0: Did any of you guys, when you were like growing up, did any of your parents ever constantly tell you, if you're going to do something, do it right? Anybody? Any kids in the room, your parents told you that yesterday? Yeah, yeah, a few of you. Yeah, I I, I got that a lot. And I probably, in, in hindsight, I heard that a lot because if I had something that I was responsible for or something I needed to do, it was often not the thing that I really wanted to do and I, I just wanted to get it done. Or I wanted some measurable like moment of success, some immediate gratitude, a sense of like, accomplishment as fast as possible. And so inevitably that meant I did not do that thing very well. I just got it done and I kind of celebrated on the front end and then by the next day it was a problem again. I did that quite a bit. And so I, I think that maybe that's why I heard that saying so much. Uh, I think the thing that sticks out with me in that is doing it right, getting it right, it matters. As, As I've gotten older and I think more around the doctrines of Scripture and what that means in its implications for life, I am more and more aware of the realities of absolute truth. Getting it right matters. In other words, you can't can't just believe in Jesus and it be any Jesus you want. I mean, he is who he is. It's revealed. There's one Jesus. Getting it right matters. This matters for us in ministry as well. This matters for us when we think of global outreach. And so, as we kind of kick off Neighbors and Nations... There's a unique opportunity for us this morning to just focus in on what it means to train leaders. When we talk about global outreach at Tri-Cities Baptist Church, we mainly talk about five pursuits. We talk about sending disciples, right? We talk about serving the vulnerable. We train leaders. We reach the unreached and we plant churches. But in doing all of those things... It matters that we get it right. That we pursue those things faithfully. If we were to celebrate, we planted a thousand churches. But as Selvin said, none of them were healthy. We wouldn't have done a very good job. We just wouldn't have. It matters that we get it right, if we serve the vulnerable and we just put food and clothes in front of them, but we never give them the hope that is found in Jesus, we're not doing it right. And in the end, we haven't really helped them. It matters that we pursue faithfulness in what we do as we approach global outreach as we approach ministry and so in the middle of our pursuits as a church is this simple handle to train leaders and what I want to do over the next few minutes this morning is just try to unpack that it's almost going to be like you guys have been here for elder conversations it's almost going to be like a one-man elder conversation I want to break down some implications of God's word. I want you to see what we mean or at least uh, kind of the beginning steps of what we mean when we talk about training leaders at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. If you've been with us for the last few months, we've been studying through 1 Peter. We're taking a break from that today as we launch into this thing called Neighbors and Nations, as we pause every Easter, every Thanksgiving to turn our attention to the great commission that is set before us to take the love of Jesus to our neighbors and ultimately to the nations, and that we would be reminded that we are a church on mission together. This is who we are. It's what we've been set apart to do, to bring worship to the one true God of every tongue, of every tribe, of every people. We have a part in that. It's our blessing. And so when I think about training leaders personally, the two examples that most jump out to me are Timothy and Titus, okay? Timothy and Titus. Timothy and Titus kind of represent the pastoral epistles In your New Testament, they are both disciples of Paul and leaders in the first century. And what's unique about their story and their example is Paul writes these letters, charging them, charging them to be leaders in the church, leaders in this mission. And so we see some very clear prescriptive like charges that would go to leaders. And we see that throughout Titus and Timothy. And I love what Paul says to Titus specifically in Titus 2.1. He says, but as for you, Titus, the leader that you are, the leader that you've been set apart to be in the church, Titus, as for you, teach, teach what accords with sound doctrine." Titus, as for you, the leader that you've been set apart to be, teach what accord with sound doctrine. See, our big truth that I want to kind of just remind us all of as we approach ministry and as we look at global outreach is this. Leaders teach, equip, and hold the church to sound doctrine leaders teach equip and hold the church to sound doctrine it's what leaders do it's the right way it's what we're set apart to pursue but there's a problem there are so many broken measurements of leadership in the west in the culture in your mind and in my mind it's hard for us to even pause and understand that sense of faithfulness we have adopted these broken measurements of influence or popularity or momentum and we don't even slow down enough to realize if those are the standards of leadership then when we open up our pages of Scripture and we read about the prophets we read about those like Jeremiah we read about Paul who all of Asia turned against him we read about Stephen who just couldn't keep his mouth shut and got stoned and we say well those guys weren't very effective leaders and so either our definition needs to change our measurements of leadership need to change and realign to scripture or we're gonna have to look at scripture and say man these guys didn't know what they were doing they lacked tact they weren't compelling enough they didn't tell good enough illustrations and stories I I don't know whatever that is we would have to reckon with that but as Children of God, we understand that Scripture is our source of truth. These men were leaders, set apart by God, faithful. I think maybe perhaps the greatest illustration of what I'm trying to get at with you is the judgment of the seven churches in Revelation. Do you remember that? If you've been in the Word, you've studied the Word, you will remember the seven churches that are outlined in the beginning of Revelation. And there's judgment that falls on them. There's judgment proclaimed against them. But none of them, none of them are judged for a failure to reproduce a certain number of disciples. None of them are judged for their gathering attendance. None of them are judged for not planting enough churches or not just reaching X number of nations. There's no judgment on any of the churches for any such thing. No, it's not there. And it's not that these outcomes are not important because they are. But making them primary is broken. It's broken. Example. Money. Money. Money is important for living life. But if you live your life to make money, that's broken. That make sense? We, we desire these outcomes. They, they, they are important, but they're not primary. And so when we look at leadership in scripture, we must be reminded, even as we've been going through 1 Peter, it is unto the Lord. It is according to his will. There are absolutes in leadership. There are absolute leadership standards. There are absolute leadership pursuits. And a faithful leader, by definition, leads accordingly. Meanwhile, an unfaithful leader leads by a different standard. They compromise. A little decision here, a little decision there, a little thing here. And the word of God is clear and absolute and calls them to something, but they just compromise. Their life looks like that of King Saul or that you might find in The book of Judges, it is just a compromising and a twisting here and there, here and there. And in any one thing, it may seem small, but the cumulative effect of such decisions does not anchor the people they lead in the word. And as a result, Ephesians 4, they are tossed to and fro by every wave, every deceitful scheme, Every cunning lie that comes into their life just wrecks them back and forth, back and forth. Why? Because they are not anchored in what is true. They have a false leader who proclaims peace where there is no peace. Their identity is built around compromise and when we look at scripture we must be reminded that truth is absolute, that good is good, bad is bad. Healthy is healthy, unhealthy, unhealthy. Wise is wise, unwise is wise, unwise is unwise. Here's the point: getting it right matters. There's power in truth. Another example, real quick, and then we're going to kind of get into the text a little bit more. Have you ever? We've all heard the expression. It's a pretty good expression. That people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Everybody ever heard that? Like two of you. That's great. <laughs> now, we've all heard that, right? And I mean, that, that, that's helpful. It, it, it kind of reminds us of the importance of relational equity, this personal equity and trust that we build up with one another. And it's partially true. But there's another side to it that's very dangerous. Listen, it misleads us to value this personal equity This kind of relational trust that we might build up with one another, it tempts us to value it above truth. It tempts us. And in this way, the church has bought into this and I'll just be honest, there's whole philosophies of ministry around this. This idea that, you know, it's all about relationships. But have you really stopped and thought about something for a minute? Have you taken that thought and read through your New Testament? Have you studied that idea? I assure you, if you do, this is what you will find it is not your personal equity, it is not your relational equity that is the power to change lives. It is the Word of God proclaimed in word and deed that is the power to change lives. Your relational equity, man, it's important. It's, it's a tool in the tool bag, but it's not primary. It's just a tool. So what's that mean? Well, that means if we're living on mission, Maybe the missionaries we should support aren't the ones we know the best. Maybe it's not just our friend. Maybe our friends aren't very healthy. Maybe it's the ones that are most sound in doctrine, are in pursuit of truth, show the signs of most health. See, that would be missional focus but if my support and my giving is just relationally focused, does it matter how am I measuring those things? These these thoughts, they matter. Why do they matter? Because truth matters. We hold these things up. We wrestle with this as a people. See, the reality is people don't care how much you know until they need to know. This is the point, listen. If your life is on the line, If you're diagnosed with cancer, and everything hinges in that moment, you know the doctor you want? The one with the highest standards, with expertise, knowledge, understanding that's been tried and tested. It doesn't matter if you know them very much. It doesn't matter what your bond or connection to them is. You want the person who's most likely to bring the knowledge, the truth, to help you. If your mother's in need of surgery, that's what you look for. You send your kids to school, you expect there to be certification and standards that acknowledge that this person who's teaching your kid has an understanding of the subject that they teach. Even if you're going to build a house, you get a home builder who has been trained and knowledgeable and tested, but we're tempted in the church to go rally around and find a pastor and say, I like that guy. He tells good stories. Are you kidding me? Which of you would choose an oncologist because he tells good stories? Which of you would send out a missionary? Because I like that guy, he makes me feel good. You say, what are you getting at? Doctrine matters. Truth matters. We recognize that in all aspects of our life. It is general wisdom. In just a minute, we're going to open the pages of scripture and you will see it prescribed to these young leaders. But even in just general practice and wisdom as a church, we know it to be true. So what is it then to be a faithful leader in a local church? Kind of before we jump in, Just view the term leader the same way we view the term teacher or evangelist or helper or other gifts that are given to the body. See, what do you mean? Well, use teachers. It's it's an easier example for just a second. The Great Commission calls all of us to be teachers, every one of us to teach, to make disciples. It's embedded into the, the, like the discipline, the action of making a disciple. If you're here and you're a parent, as a father or a mother, the word of God clearly calls you to be a teacher. You're a teacher. Deuteronomy 6, teach them diligently. You're a teacher. Yet not all serve the church in its assembled, gathered body, As a teacher. And so there's this kind of both-and situation that's happening here, and we recognize that in teaching. You, You see the same thing in evangelists. The Great Commission calls every Jesus follower to share the gospel with the lost around them. You have so many great opportunities to do that this week. There are 25 opportunities to serve and share that our church has put together for you. Get on tcbchurch.org. Get on the app. They range all over the Tri-Cities, all kinds of different platforms so that you can go serve people in our area. And as you serve alongside of them, you can share the hope of Jesus. Don't miss the opportunity. There's tons of them. They're near where you live, they're near hobbies, they're near interests that you have. This week, pursue those. You've been set apart to evangelize, to share the gospel of Jesus, but not all serve the church in its gathered form as evangelists. The same is true with the leader. The Great Commission has set every one of you apart to lead those that are around you more and more into Christ-likeness, to lead every person in your life to worship and bring honor and glory into the one true God. Every one of you. And yet, not all serve the church in its assembled body as under-shepherds or as leaders. And so we can get our mind around that. So. At tri when we talk about training leaders, we're talking about equipping the leaders of local churches. That's the aim. That we would raise up leaders who serve the assembled, the gathered body in its local form. Training leaders, listen, it never supersedes personal discipleship. It's always, always discipling. But it does recognize a responsibility and a role to the assembled local body of believers. And so when we talk about training leaders, we're talking about building on that personal discipleship to teach, to equip, and hold church leaders to the biblical standards of a leader within the local church. We're calling them to do it the right way. We're training them to do it the right way. We're holding them accountable to do it the right way. You say the right way, is that just Tri-Cities thing? No. It probably looks a lot different than Tri-Cities in all of its various forms all around the nation. So what are you calling them to? What do you mean the right way? I mean in accordance with sound doctrine revealed by the word of God. We're the absolutes become the measurements of what health is not our preference not our programs not our stuff but the absolutes of scripture you guys, there, there's whole church planning movements where pastors stand in front of their churches and say listen now we're not going to talk about jesus for the first two years what are you doing how does that make sense that's not faithful Don't give me a strategy. Here's what the idea of that's built on. Those ideas of, well, I'm not going to tell you about Jesus. It's built on this idea that somehow I personally, in my arrogance and pride, can build up enough relational equity, enough personal trust that I'm going to convince you. How arrogant. Proclaim the power that is in the name of Jesus. That's an absolute. That's the Great Commission. That's throughout our New Testament. We're gonna work with those types of partners. We're gonna come alongside of those plants that do that, that make much of Jesus. And we're gonna look at the ones that aren't and say, get in line or recognize you're in sin. That's what we're called to do is we train up leaders. We prioritize this doctrine and these biblical standards. You say, where do you see that in scripture? How does that work itself out? You'll see it throughout the whole New Testament Just for the sake of an example, I want you to see that in Timothy and Titus, these two pastoral epistles. First, 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says to Timothy, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach, charge them, don't teach any different doctrine. This is the third verse. This is the introduction. This is, hey, Timothy, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what it means to be a leader. This is what it means to be a pastor. First thing, don't let them teach false doctrine. Doctrine is your focus. He does the same thing with Titus. Titus chapter 1, beginning uh, in verse 4, he says, To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Titus, who had served with Paul for years, he says, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, listen, and appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. Watch, if there's no standard, If you can just watch a YouTube video and just go do it, he doesn't need to leave Titus. If anybody can just go be an elder, just go for it. Knock yourself out. If it's just spaghetti against the wall, why leave his friend? Why leave this person who's walked alongside of him in ministry? No, he left them because there are leadership standards. It mattered that they get it right it mattered that they were trained it matters that they were healthy and it has nothing to do with their starting point it's not like we're not gonna work with you because we're not healthy no we're gonna bring sound leadership that we might grow and it doesn't matter where they're starting from it matters that the holiness of Christ likeness is the goal for the church And so he leaves Titus there right after this. In the next few verses, you get these qualifications. Same thing you'll find in 1 Timothy 3. These qualifications for elders, for pastors, for overseers, leaders. You see these qualifications given. And then in verse 9, Paul says, of these elders, of these leaders, kind of in the end and in this transition, catch it, he must hold firm. To the trustworthy word as taught. Make sure you catch something. This leader that's being appointed, that's qualified, they must hold firm to the trustworthy word as it's been taught. Here's the point. They had to study it. They have to know it. I mean, it wasn't just like this osmosis thing. They just woke up and it just like happened to them. The disciples spent three years with Jesus. Paul spent three years for studying. You can go back and read about it in Galatians. He comes back before the other apostles and he works out all his doctrine and they decide, you know what? The same things I have studied from the absolute word of God are in line with the same things you're studying. How about that? When they studied their teaching, their doctrine was the same. And so what you have happening here in this really just clear thing you get this clear description these elders these leaders they hold firm to the trustworthy word as it's been taught they're studying it they're pursuing it they're guarding it so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, so that the leader can teach can communicate can unpack can share with others sound doctrine, that which is right, that which is healthy. In other words, they can bring real truth, real help into the lives of the people that are around them. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. That one's harder. So now I have the people who are contradicting sound doctrine and as an elder, as a pastor, As a leader, I'm responsible not just for knowing it, not just for teaching it, but correcting those, rebuking those who go against it. Verse 10. Well, that's probably not very many people. That doesn't happen very often. And so I don't know why that would be real applicable. Verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Listen to verse 11, the action given to the leader. They must be silenced. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. These false teachers, Paul doesn't call them that here, he just gives... description they're insubordinate they're rebellious against the authority of the church the leadership of the church they are rebellious against sound doctrine they'd rather go do their own thing they're empty talkers and deceivers they just kind of like use partial truths and sayings and weave in and out of these kind of mythical things that make much of themselves and in doing so watch they hurt families They hurt whole households, segmenting them off. They they bring pain. They hurt them. It says rebuke them sharply because, one, it's good for the households they're hurting, for the church to be guarded by sound doctrine and rebuke false teaching, but also, listen, for their own good, for the good of the false teacher, rebuke them sharply that they may be in sound or may be sound here's that word secure in the faith by the way notice it doesn't just say well you know build some relational equity with them build up some trust in you no it says rebuke them sharply it says silence them why because doctrine matters because truth matters because it's the measurement of leadership that we would point to the one true God. See, the New Testament doesn't just throw spaghetti against the wall in hope in its global outreach. It plants churches. It reaches the nations. It makes disciples that makes disciples by training up leaders who are grounded in sound doctrine, who live by it, who boldly speak it and call all that they lead to it. Say, well, what do I do with this? And this is very quick and the team's gonna come on up and we're gonna just continue in a time of worship and song, but what do you do with this? See, the idea of, man, A planning a church, that seems much more tangible, but maybe a training a leader. How do you personally, where you get involved in this? How do you help do this well? What, What does that mean for the larger church and everyone in it? Let me give you three things really quick. First, prioritize sound doctrine in your life. We as a church need to redeem the culture that measures faithfulness according to sound doctrine. That begins in our own personal lives. Pray for and pursue growth, wisdom, depth for yourself, for others. Pray that for me, pray that for Mike, pray that for Paul, pray for that for the missionaries we support, that they would continue to grow in sound doctrine and their understanding of who God is and who he's called them to be pray and pursue evaluation and correction I mean not just in the sense of I mean really think about this in the last 10 years think of how many times you hear about churches that are planted every time you hear that go talk to those people and say man are they healthy how are they healthy how did they get healthy have those conversations celebrate that they're planted Let doctrine matter. Pray for it. Pursue it. Lean in. Why? Because (laughs) the real win is that we grow in Christ's likeness and holiness and present our lives before him as living sacrifices of worship. The harvest is his. Let's be faithful in that. Pray for and pursue repentance. Realignment, change from our broken worldviews to sound doctrine. Prioritize sound doctrine in your life. Second, prioritize sound doctrine in your support. In your support. Give your time and money according to doctrinal depth. Give encouragement according to doctrinal depth. By the way, what's that mean? Reduce your time and your giving according to doctrinal depth. Rebuke, challenge, correct according to doctrinal depth. Prioritize sound doctrine in your support. Let your kids see it. Let it be a challenging, like exemplary pursuit for those that are around you. Third, prioritize sound doctrine in your discipleship. Make disciples whose lies are aimed at the full stature of Christ, Ephesians 4. Build one another up. May we live in such a way that we create a culture within the church that values faithfulness to truth. We, I'm so thankful for the measure of grace that God has given Tri-Cities Baptist Church in this. And I, I want to close by just having a moment to just praise the Lord for his mercy and his grace on us as a church. We're not perfect, we're broken, we're a sinful people. If you're looking for a perfect church, we're not it. But by the grace of God, he has given us pursuits in these things. Blessings in these things. We, in the leadership training uh, program, we partner with Southern Seminary to train up Just everyday people in the pursuit of leadership and sound doctrine. We've ran six cohorts through over the last several years. That's an incredible thought. Forty-six students serving seven different churches that reach in our area. By the way, people we've sent to help plant churches outside of the area through that cohort right here, us. Globally, we partner with faithful churches through networks and ministry that allows us to come alongside of people in great times of need. I'll give you just a real practical example. Like, right now, through YMI, we work in China and Myanmar and Ethiopia. These places are really struggling with some wars and some... It's tough. You know, the funds we gave, by the way, to the Ukrainian Relief Fund, do you know where... Some of those, not all of but a few of those have gone to churches on the Romanian border. Watch. Not just massive, like, relief agencies, but strategically coming alongside of healthy local churches that every day are housing refugees and not just giving them food, not just giving them water, but bringing in translators to talk to them about the hope that is in Jesus when they just lost everything. And not just disconnected from everything else, local churches led by trained leaders who are faithful, who are doctrinally sound. We get to do that as a local church, to partner with sound, healthy churches all around the world. What a blessing to us. And so here's the challenge for you value doctrinal health in your own life. Value that in the mission and the partners as we reach out across the world. You say, why? Because it's the right way and because in the end it makes the most of Jesus. And it doesn't just serve us, it serves the next generation. Because we're not trading health for the illusion of just what comes next. Is it harder? It most certainly is harder but it is worth it. And so church, when we talk about trained leaders, we talk about sound doctrine. And I'm thankful for the measure of grace and mercy the Lord has given us, Tri-Cities Baptist Church, at this time to pursue those things. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the example of leaders that you give us in the New Testament. Thank you for their diligence and their pursuit of sound doctrine. Father, may we not be satisfied with unhealthy. May we not be satisfied with unwise. Lord, may we long to train up leaders that we might send, that we might reach, we might plant, but ultimately, Father, that we might bring you glory and honor and worship of our family, our neighbors, and the nations. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.